the Deep Democracy Podcast. I'm Winelia Rivera. And I'm Gina Cristo. On this podcast, we look at what's happening in both local and national politics from a different perspective, what we call deep democracy, the belief that those at the margins should be at the center, and that including all voices gives us a more complete view of the system. We look at everything from gerrymandering to abortion, immigration to climate change through that lens, which means that what you hear on the show is going to be a little different than what you hear on most political shows. Or a lot different. We hope you enjoy it and we hope to hear from you too. Now, let's get to today's show. We didn't ask for permission and we're not asking for an apology. And we're just going to say, you know what, either you're with us or you're not. If you're not, get out the way. That is Charlene Oliver and Tequila Johnson, the women behind the Equity Alliance in Tennessee. They helped take Tennessee from last in voter registration to top 10 by registering 85,000 African-Americans and Latino voters last cycle. And now they're leading the fight in 2019 against voter suppression in Tennessee. We're going to hear more from Charlene and Tequila in a minute. But first, Gina, I think I think it's time. It's time. It's time to talk about Alabama, Georgia and now Missouri. And don't forget about Ohio. Oof. It is a mess. Yeah. Um, we talked about this last month. These red states are going after Roe v. Wade really hard. Um, they're going to pass more heartbeat bills and more really aggressive anti-abortion bills that put penalties on women and doctors for maybe even having miscarriages in some states. Um, yeah, Louisiana, actually. So that's why, you know, and I think the, the, the you know, for, for, for listeners, you know, the geography here, we're talking about the, the Southwest, you know, and we're talking about the, the Midwest. Um, and it is a synchronized... It's an attack. It is a synchronized hell in a basket. Yeah. You know, um, and that is not even like the kind of like phrases I use on a day to day basis. Um, But that is just the only reaction you can you can have to it is just the the synchronization of it is just absolutely. It takes my breath away. It is breathtaking what they're what they're willing to do. And the timing of it. It's just it's so coordinated. And, you know, I feel like for us having worked in the RJ world, like it's Mm -hmm. not. It's not surprising their capacity to sequence it and Mm -hmm, do it in mm -hmm, this way, mm -hmm. but it still knocked me on my ass. Yeah, yeah. And for folks that aren't familiar with the terminology with uh, RJ, we mean reproductive justice. And reproductive justice, it's a school of thought that you have to look at people's full bodies, right? So at race, at class, at gender, their ability as well, their physical ability. Mm -hmm. And the way that... It's intersectional. It's intersectional, right? And and, And that's part of what this attack makes it so... So much more alarming, right? Because of the geography in which they're doing it. Like some of these states are the states where you have the biggest populations of like black women, yeah. you know, that live in the country. And, and and to think that this is what they're what they're doing. Louisiana just made it a felony crime up to ninety nine years if you com- if you committed abortion, even in the case of rape and incest. It is all leading up to trigger Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court. Yeah, and it is. You know, in the amount of states, it's... It's not good. No, it's not. What's happening is they're trying to build precedent across the different regions of the... Of the court system. Of the court system. Yeah. So yeah. they can all go up to the Supreme Court and mm-hmm. and lose our rights. And I mean, listen, like, there's also a lot of legislation that talks about how it's a crime to have an abortion and it doesn't delineate the difference between a miscarriage and an abortion. Mm-hmm. And, and Stacey Abrams put it very well. She, you know, the, I think it, I don't know if it was yesterday or the, a few days ago on, on Twitter. She she said, until these men lose their power, they're going to continue. Oh. That's the only thing. That's literally all she said. That's the only thing that's going to stop this from happening. Louisiana has a Democrat governor. Yes. 
Yes. Alabama has a woman as a governor. Oh my God, I know. That was in hand. So and I think shit. and that's why we always have to have a very a very complex and a real conversation about what does representation mean. Yeah. It's not just enough to be a woman, it's not just enough to be a person of color, you yeah. know, in these positions because if these are the kinds of choices and the kinds of positions that you're taking, then we're again hell in a handbasket. Right. Because the amount of states that are doing this is just it. It's a it's a level of fear mongering and you know and the fact that they're able to legislate it and operationalize it is just ugh. it's bad and I mean a lot of women have had trouble accessing abortion over the past decade it's really been aggressively eroded um, but it's never been this blunt and coordinated but we just you know women are are gonna die yeah, yeah and I'm not saying that to be alarmist but banning abortion doesn't get rid of abortion it gets rid of safe abortion. Yeah, that's exactly that's yeah. exactly it. It's disheartening, but you know, I think you know one of the things that I know that I maintain my optimism is that you know one of the things we look forward to on the show over the next couple of months is looking for the activists and the organizations that are really like on the battlegrounds of these fights. Because regardless of what the results may be legislatively, there's a lot of great folks that are that are doing amazing work. A lot of them are, are queer people of color, mm-hmm. you know, poor folks that are really putting together the fight. I mean, just because we can't, you know, sometimes people cannot see it or pay attention, um, we look forward to bring some of those voices, more of those voices onto the show because this is going to be a long-term fight. The important thing is, is that we got to put, we always got to take abortion in, in the context of race, gender, and class. And we got to like always remember to like look at it from, from that lens. Um, because when you put abortion alongside the, the attacks around immigration, mm-hmm. um, it just really shows you what the, what the, what the conservative right-wing extreme response is to the continued di- diversification of the country, yeah. right? And, and, and what that implication means, right? So, because I think we're here because we want to, like, really draw out the bigger lessons here, yeah. right, about what all of this means. Yeah. And that's the part that we really... We are really fighting for who we are and who we want to become as a, as a country. Yeah. And there's some people that are willing to take what have been... You know, in many ways, the legal pillars of like what makes us function as a freaking society. society. Yeah, I don't sorry, sorry to be too big if I'm too big picturey now. Yeah, um, but I think it matters, yeah. and that's why it, it, it's. Yeah. You know, and that's why the, you know we call our show Deep Democracy. We're at the point in 2019. We are talking about Roe versus Wade about to be taken down. I know. In the context of everything else, how does it get inserted into the 2020 primary, right? right. So I have to go there, folks. I have to go there because our good old, good old Uncle Joe, oh, you know, we're going to keep track of like the, the Uncle Joe's like, just like, just hypocrisies throughout the course of this, of this he season. He campaigned for a Republican that is pro-life. Hello. And last he, year, guys. Last? Last year. Because there are Ugh. those that will say, oh, you guys are bringing up stuff from like the 70s and the 80s. It's like, you know what? I will leave that there. I will leave that there. Okay? I, Even, oh, I know Gina will. I'm guys. not going to leave that Gina there. Will leave. I'll let Gina talk about I'm the older stuff. There. I'll talk about the stuff that's more recent. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just tells you everything. Yeah. It, you know, I'm like, get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. That's how I feel, too. And like, you... You know, coming back to Georgia, right, where we just passed, they passed one of the most restrictive bans. Joe Biden could not get his butt down to Georgia to campaign for Stacey Abrams, but he got paid $200,000 to campaign for a Republican. Yes, America, $200,000. $200,000. Not here for it. So we know what his price tag is on our values. Not here for it. And I'm not doing that. Not here for it. And since we're talking about presidential candidates, Mm -hmm. I just want to say that um, my girl Elizabeth Warren is the only person who rolled out a plan 
to protect abortion. We're going to call her AKA I roll out plans. AKA she has a plan. I always want to come back to this when it comes to the 2020 primary, which is that having such a big field as we do with like what, 23, I think we're up to now. um, It's really also a debate about ideas for the, for the party itself and what direction that takes. And yes, that's the echo chamber conversation. And that is not the conversation that, uh, that that the country needs to hear. And I'm going to like balance that to some degree. But for those of us that are within that, that, that lane, and I think it's important for, for listeners to also understand that, that kind of that kind of is hap- that is happening that simultaneously, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely is. Um, and that's why you're having one issue, you know, presidential candidates coming out, right? Because it's about shaping like different parts of the the party's platform and how to and how to approach it and what the language is. Mm-hmm. Like that is definitely an internal conversation mm-hmm. that's happening that I would argue Elizabeth Warren is leading, but. I I think, you know, I want to hear what you think about this because you know how I feel about some of these men running for running for president. Right? <laughs> I wish listeners could see Gina's face. <laughs> you know how I feel about that. But, you know, what is, what do you think is enough as a as a male presidential candidate to step out on abortion? Cuz I saw some tweets and I saw some op-eds and I saw some Instagram posts, but it was like it was all rhetoric. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that's the problem right there. Yeah. That's the first thing to me. Enough, first of all, we shouldn't be asking for enough. Yep. That's the first thing. Good. And especially when it comes to abortion, um, it is not a woman's issue. Mm Mm-mm. It is not a woman's issue, mm-hmm. and that women and and people of color and trans women have been left to themselves to like fight that fight yeah. is ridiculous. I think, right? Because it's 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 a it's a family issue. It's an all of us issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a doctor's issue, right? Right? It's a, it's a healthcare. <laughs> issue. It's a healthcare issue, right? What I was gonna say is a uh, shout out to Senator Singleton in Alabama. He was a yeah. black man who, remember that, yeah. who was yelling on that yes, floor and made me very proud. I'm upset mm-hmm. that he doesn't have a real Twitter, mm-hmm. so I can't tweet at him. But yeah, just the last thing I'll say on that is like, I don't like Cory Booker at all, but I really did like his op-ed and mm-hmm. the points that he made about men standing up for abortion and and being that kind of ally. So to me, he won the man race <laughs> in the presidential talking about abortion. Uh, well, Nalia, pretty excited because it's only our third episode ever. And it is supported by The New Yorker. I mean, seriously, we're so proud. New Yorker writers are some of the best out there. And beyond publishing the best writers in the world, The New Yorker holds people in power accountable through rigorous reporting and compelling storytelling. We know a thing or two about that, too. They really do, both online and in print. The New Yorker covers so many topics, politics, news, climate change, you know, popular culture, arts, food, cartoons. There's pretty much everything. What I love about The New Yorker is they they really get into the under belly of stories you know well a lot of times what you get is a surface topic about like for instance what's happening on the abortion topic around the country what they will do is that they get into the the underbelly of the other side you know and that's what i really love about the new yorker they're always willing to go dissect all sides especially the ones that we need to be listening to the most yeah and i'm i'm a huge fan of ronan farrow and the work he's done writing about sexual assault and gia tolentino's cultural critiques are you know just a good way to blow off steam after reading an article about sexual assault and that's all in the new yorker so right now deep democracy listeners can get 12 weeks of the new yorker for just six bucks which is half off that's like that's like two cups of coffee you know what i mean that's like nothing right um you get home delivery of the print each week unlimited access to the newyorker.com with 10 to 15 exclusive site only stories every day and access to the app online archive crossword puzzle and more 
And guys, honestly, this is my favorite. Don't forget the tote. You get an exclusive tote with that package too. Just go to newyorker.com slash deep democracy and get 50% off when you enter deep democracy at the checkout. Go get that deal. So did you see that Trump is proposing, like, prioritize admission to the United States, prioritizing highly skilled workers over those with family members in the United States? They think they're being nice because in this bill they're not challenging um, green cards allotted and all that. It's, like, supposed to be a middle ground bill for Republicans to come together on immigration. It's just, it's so bad. I mean, it's it's just gross. Like, it's disgusting that you're like, oh, I'm not going to pair a parent and their kid, but if you work for Chase Bank and you have a degree, you're welcome into this country. Like, just fuck you. Hunger Games. It's That's exactly what it is. That's all I can think of, friends. It, oh, my God. Hunger Games, and, and they're trying to operationalize it, and it's not okay. It, it's it's it, it has no heart. Two other children died in custody in, yeah. in, in, in ICE recently. You know, God bless those families because, you know, honestly, it just, it is, we are... Kids in cages. We've allowed this administration at this point to just move forward rapidly with a level of attack on immigrants, and not just all immigrants, right? Obviously, at the end of the day, as you can hear by the proposal, that it's about ranking, you know, racially... <laughs> Let's be honest, right? What people are of value and what people aren't. Right. And there's obviously going to be specific countries that people who are able to, quote unquote, participate successfully in our economy come from. And, you know, I've you been know, paying like, a lot of attention to this issue. And, you know, the the amount of obsession that, that he's he's enjoying, the amount of like control that he wants over all the details of like deporting millions yeah. and millions of people, yeah. families, children, like Yes, it's he. It is Stephen means, Miller. Yo. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna call his name out, guys. He, Stephen Miller. Diablo is. It, yes, thank you. He is El Diablo. Es el Diablo. Yeah. I'm like porque yo sí hablo español, pero let me tell you, y'all. <laughs> y'all, it is. It is extremely scary in a way that we really have to pay attention to because the the sequencing in which he he is increasing the volume of immig- immigration attacks. I mean, he literally tweeted this this week. You know, one of his tweets at the end was like, "Please do not make yourself too comfortable. You will be leaving soon." Like, do you understand the level that we are at? Like, we have allowed, we are now allowing a president of the United States to manage the country through Twitter. I'm going to say that one more time so it can sink in. The president of the United States is managing the country through Twitter. I used to wish that Obama tweeted. And so, no. 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 And now I don't. I, I don't. No. I don't wish that at no. all. I mean, I just. Do you remember that first ban, immigration ban? It was like January 2017. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we took to the streets. Like, we were at those airports. We were organizing, like, I mean, I wasn't there, but I saw people mm-hmm. organizing you know, lawyers and all of that. And it's not to say that people aren't doing work at the border and work they at what it is happening, but like, we got to do something, y'all. We got to do a march. We got to do... I mean, look, the thing is, it's not, a, it's not about a march, man. You know, look, the reality is that for a lot of for a lot of people in this country, and for most of us, we're not we're not paying attention. You know, there's a lot of folks that are fighting the fight, and that's why we're, we're, we're here to, like, shine shine light on that. You know, one of my really great, um, you know, friends in the world, Ziamara Sepeña, you know, transitioned from doing some border, from border engagement work to doing border work um, in Tijuana. Um, and, you know, and it's... Uh, it's it's unglorious work because at the end of the day, you 
you're helping people survive and it's not about like you know rallies and you know all these other glorious things because what most people have realized that are living those lives is that for most americans we are living our lives you know we care more about like what where we're going to brunch on saturday than anything else and i have i know i'm a i'm a i'm a victim of that too um to some degree uh and you know we have to be honest to our with ourselves about to what degree are we but the reality is is that this is what's among us there is a complete fear mongering um but an actual but it's not it's not just um in the movies it's real it's real life it's real life and you know like i know that a march isn't going to get mm-hmm. kids out of cages but how can we wake people up how can i wake myself up you know and it goes back to the earlier conversations of the trump presidency it's like how do you take in all this information how do you take in all this terrible stuff that's happening and be engaged with it but also not you know burn out and just feel terrible because Mm -hmm. I and I don't know what the answer to that is and I'm not sure that anyone does but that immigration is what keeps me up at night yeah the next four to six years of this country are very are very important Mm -hmm. you know I just want to speak directly to my fellow white people you know I know a lot of people say this on Twitter but I'm just going to reiterate it you have to get into those fights at your dining your dining room table you have to talk to your and it's your dining room table yours Okay. I know it is. It's my family's too. We everybody has, you know, they approach the world differently or whatever, but you can't sit and just like let your uncle be racist. You never should have, you know. And I, I understand it's hard. I know well, I actually don't understand it's hard actually. I, I do. Care, Listen, actually. like I've been picking fights at the dinner table. We'll let Gina continue talking. For my fa- with my family for a long long time and it sucks and it's hard and like it's not convenient. And there's going to be times where they just tell you to shut up and you know, you do you there. I usually just try to like get them after when we're all separated, you know. But have your strategy plan. Think about it because, you know, you're, there's maybe kids at the table. They're watching you fight. I was politicized by watching my sister get into a fight with somebody about abortion at a Christmas party when I was 10, like screaming match about abortion. And so be that be that sister, be that person, because it's on us, y'all. This is some white people mess where we are right now. It's messy. It's messy. Our guests today are Charlene Oliver and Tequila Johnson from Tennessee's Equity Alliance. So a few months ago, Gina and I were in New York for a convening uh, hosted by Groundswell Fund, which is a reproductive justice foundation that focuses on supporting organizations that are led by by um, Black and Latino Native American women across across the country. And I had the amazing opportunity to moderate this amazing panel where I got an opportunity to meet both of our speakers today. That's Char- Charlene Oliver and Tequila Johnson. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's for really having great to, to, to have you guys, and we're just gonna like take a take a deep dive. So before we start talking about you know the many hats that you guys wear, but just my first question to get us going here is, you know, I know your work is based out of Tennessee, but I'm just curious, where did both of you grow up? So this is Charlene. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, in the South, um, you know, capital of of Arkansas. And, you know, I grew up in a mostly single parent home for most of my childhood. And, you know, but I came from good family values. So my parents, you know, taught us about hard work and, you know, making good grades in school. So I carried that with me. And, um, but, but, you know, I had some challenges in life that really kind of helped me now in the work that I'm doing to really understand the struggles of everyday people and what we're dealing with as 
uh, African-Americans mm-hmm. um, in the struggle, if so to speak. I ended up, you know, going to Vanderbilt for uh, college, and that's how I ended up in Tennessee. This is Tequila. I am from Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I've lived here my entire life. Um, I was born in the Alton Park Housing Projects in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Moved from Alton Park to City View, which is pretty much still the inner city. And then my freshman year in high school, I moved to probably one of the wealthiest counties in Chattanooga. So I, my upbringing kind of gave me a very bottom-up approach or, or view of just how Tennessee is run, so to speak. I went from one of the worst schools in elementary to one of the moderately best schools in middle to probably the best school in the state at the time in high school. So I've actually had some diversity in my upbringing. Um, which has really encouraged the work that we do at the Equity Alliance. I would love to hear for you guys to tell our listeners about your work, the incredible work that you guys did last cycle. You registered a record number of people to vote. So if you could just tell us how that started and, and what you know you were shooting for and then what you guys ended up succeeding in last cycle. Go ahead, Tequila. I'll let you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we were 50th in voting turnout. We were very low in African-American voter turnout and very low in voter registration. And what we realized at the Equity Alliance is that we're doing a we're doing a moderately good job in Tennessee in terms of reaching out to a lot of our affluent people, but there's just a lot of communities within the African American population mm-hmm. that are overlooked. And so what we did is we created a program that essentially empowered people from those communities to go back into those said communities and educate their community and register their community to vote. We gave them the training and the tools that they needed to be able to do that, and that model proven to be really, really successful. We registered, uh, we put together a coalition of about 32 different organizations from across the state. And with that 32 um, organizations, we were able to register around 85,000 people. To that's vote. amazing. And that that is amazing. Like, that's a Herculean yeah. effort for, for, for our <laughs> listeners. That is not like, you know, like average. That's not standard. That's yeah. not standard in any way. Um, but, but continue, please. Yeah, so, and that was within, uh, what, four to five months we were able to accomplish wow. that. And, of course, we can't say that we did it all by ourselves because there was a coalition of people that worked with us, but we did take the initiative to develop and train and resource that coalition. So that was that was some really, really hard work, and it was so, so successful that our state legislator now is trying to figure out how to make it <laughs> even more difficult for people to register to vote in Tennessee and for organizations to do large-scale voter registration in Tennessee. So I say just looking at what has come from it, I I really appreciate you saying that last point, Tequila, because I think we were seeing that across the country, right, in places where we had some of these, like, major, like, you know, major turnout of, like, you know, African-American communities or Latino communities or basically people that weren't supposed to vote, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And seeing legislatures basically trying to, like, you know, go back to, like, well, how do we make it so that they don't come out and vote again, right? Um, But I'm curious, so... You, so you said you you um, you registered eighty five thousand people. Can you share with us um, the ways in which you did that? Because I know you know one of the things that I really loved about um, about you guys is the the souls to the polls um, uh, program yeah. that you shared. But please t- talk to us um, a little bit about the kinds of the kinds of ways that you registered people, and more importantly, how is it different than like the way we normally see that kind of work happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so we we um, we did the souls to the polls initiative. We wanted to have one hundred 
African American and black and brown, basically, congregations register 100% of all eligible voters. And so we did that through several um, organizations here that are um, like church coalition groups. And then one of the largest churches in Tennessee, well, the largest church in Tennessee, which is Mount Zion Baptist Church, Charlene is a member there, um, offered for us to come into their pulpit. And Bishop Walker offered for us to come into his pulpit and, you know, just talk about the importance of voter registration. And we use Hustle and uh, Revolution text messaging to have people from their phone text the number in that would then cap- uh, capture their information and send them the online voter registration link. But we were able to get a lot of people that way. But we also did other unconventional things, specifically for our Latino community. We went to laundromats. Laundromats. Um, Love that. Talk to me more about that. It was great because people were just sitting. So they were more inclined that is to genius. You're not going anywhere. you got to fold your underwear. <laughs> right. So that was pretty good. We got a lot of people registered that way. Um, we did a party bus. So we got a party bus, got volunteers on a party bus, and we went to several nightclubs. And while people were in line waiting to get in the nightclub, we registered them to vote. Uh, we went into the local housing project, and we found community validators that were within those pro- housing projects, trained them, and got them to go into the community with us and register people to vote. I mean, anywhere where people were, we were there registering people right. to vote. Large and small events. I mean, we were getting hit up to, you know, come to the uh, March for Our Lives rally and. Mm-hmm. um there was this um, big black women's event that was sponsored by Dollar General. We got a lot of people registered there uh, where, I mean, we just, they gave us access to the front door and we were just passing out um, our voter guide and then also registering people to vote. So, I mean, we were at community events, um, community centers. I mean, wherever people were, we were (laughs) basically. And did you do it by like, you know, area that needed the most people registered or, or was it like, was it driven by, areas you wanted to increase or was it driven by where there were the most people at a laundromat or the biggest kind of event you know like how did you make those decisions well yeah I mean we know the landscape Mm -hmm. of you know the community so we kind of went where we knew that our people frequented Mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was based off of demographics a lot of that Um, and then we know some of the lower turnout areas are obviously in our community anyway so that's kind of how we figure that Look out for it yeah you know i read up on just on like kind of how you guys created the equity alliance but i think it's just a really great story of how you know when you come together at a small table with some passion-driven people what you can like accomplish together but can you share with us a little bit more of like kind of how it is that both of you met right um and where like equity alliance came out of yeah so <laughs> i mean we always you know we're spiritual people so we always talk about how this was just a divine assignment for us and how all of us meeting each other in the way that we have really was an act of God and just bringing us together. I met Tequila, well, I met, we knew each other before um, the campaign. So uh, both of us do, you know, some campaign work as well for uh, candidates. And so we worked with Christian Bug. she's on our board um, back in summer of 2016. And Tequila and Christian were already friends. And then I came into the mix 
um, wanting to help her as just an African-American woman. Like, I, you know, I was at this time for me personally, I was looking at, OK, the system is really effed up <laughs> and I need to, like, do something about it. So I was trying to find my ways to plug in as well. So I got linked up with Tequila um, on the campaign where she served as the manager, campaign manager, and I was the communications director for mm. Christian. And, you know, we were young, we were novices and really just figuring it out on our own. And so it really spoke to the fact like we didn't have any support from, you know, say the old guard of Nashville really grooming us and mentoring us, even though you had a very well-qualified candidate, no one was really trying to get behind her financially. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, we didn't have the financial backing as well. So we were really like grassroots, <laughs> really hitting the pavement. We understand that. We've been there. <laughs> We've been yeah. there and continue to yeah, be there in many like, ways. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, we were up against a, a giant per se because the, the opponent was, you know, getting all of her money from PACs and mm -hmm. uh, national charter school money. And so we, you know, it was hard for us to compete in that area. But we knew our message and we really were able to really hit the ground and knock doors. Um, that was the that was the difference for us. And we, we got her elected and she won um, two to one. Um, oh, wow. By March, That's amazing. You know. Yeah. How did the how did the establishment receive both of you after that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's how the equity. Oh man. <laughs> right. So go ahead. I, just being. Go ahead. I, mean, we, I was gonna say just being real. Like we are still yeah. fighting, and I'm not gonna say we're fighting to prove ourselves because now we've gotten so engulfed in the work that it really doesn't matter who is stepped up. We're here with, we didn't ask for permission and we're not asking Yes, yes. Like, we just kicked the door down and we're just yes. going to say, you know what, either you with us or you not, if you not, get out the way. Yeah. You know, honestly, I see your X-Men outfits on. I know. I'm a little bit of a, com of, a, of a comic nerd, but, like, I totally see, like, the X-Men outfits on and you guys is, like, crushing through the doors with, yes. like, voter registration, like, t you know. <laughs> yep. We just have this, like, nothing can stop us mentality because we we know this is God ordained and nothing has stopped us yet. And that's just how we approach things. And we've had to prove ourselves and we're at the two year mark. We still don't have paid staff, but we, we're still grinding and um, slowly but surely, like people are coming around to like, okay, these, these, the Equalize is the real deal. So, I mean, we've, we've proven ourselves. And so you guys are officially unstoppable by so many <laughs> metrics. So what's next? What kind of work do you want the Equity Alliance to grow into in the next cycle? You know, are there candidates you're going to work with directly or PAC work you're going to do? What is next for you guys? What we're really adamant about is we don't want to get pigeonholed into um, as a brand thinking that we're just this electoral work, regist voter registration organization. We realize that's where we have to start. Uh, but that's not where we're going to stay. Mm -hmm. um, so we want the community to know that we're here to not only do the groundwork, but we're trying to build to where we can also do policy work and advocacy work and really change some issues um, across the state. So eventually we're going to get to that place, mm -hmm. but we still have to. There's so much base building work to do. And yeah. So that's where we are right now in terms of building capacity not only within the organization but still building our presence statewide because there's an entire not, 
Tennessee is probably about um, 80% rural. So there's a lot of work to do in rural communities that we haven't done, um, that what well, we have, but we, that, there's a lot of untapped mm-hmm. um, communities there that we, we still need to reach. So there's, it's, this is a building year for us because we know 2020 is coming and we're, we're ready to really put a stake in the ground there. That's awesome. And I mean, you got you guys have so much exciting building happening, but neither of you, neither of you are. It's not your full time job to work at the Equity (laughs) Alliance. So how do you how do you manage that? How do you balance, you know, doing this incredible work and also having a life outside and also your actual job? And you're working moms, right? Yeah, you're you know, that's also let's not forget about that important (laughs) role as well in your life. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Honest and just being fully transparent, it is a lie, and that is why we're putting so much in now. Because our goal this year is to be able to bring mm-hmm. on full time staff. Um, when we tell people the numbers, the, the numbers of the results that we've been able to produce, and the amount of time that we invest in the Equity Alliance, I mean, people are like, "How do you all do that?" And, and I honestly, I don't feel overwhelmed until mm-hmm. I think about it. Because while I'm doing it, I'm so passionate about it, and it it is my life. Like. It's fun to me. It is fun yeah. to me to be able to empower people. And, and that's really what we're about. We're about empowerment. And it, it just, I don't know, it just comes naturally. It comes, I've always been an, an advocate and an activist in my life. Like, I've always been in the, on the front lines yelling and pushing something. So for me, this just comes naturally. Mm-hmm. If I push our lane. She is a organizer and a mm-hmm. by nature. So that comes naturally to her. Like, when she says that it was, it, had, it was outside of our control. It was the universe. It was the ancestors. It was God. It was every spiritual being working together because our gifts fit together like a complete mm-hmm. puzzle. And so that is what keeps us going. Like, there are times where I'm not able to pull my weight, and I don't have to tell Charlene. Like, she just text me and say, oh, I did that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, vice versa. So, it's, you know, really, honestly, it's just about passion, and it's about being in leadership with other people who mm-hmm. share a vision with that you trust and that you all have each other's back. And that's really what keeps right. us going. I mean, we're so passionate that, I mean, we see the bigger picture. So, we have ideas for days, and we'll just, we'll get this idea, oh and I'll talk to Keelan and be like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> So, I mean, it just really, like, we feed off each other really well, uh, and, and the whole group as well. We all have our different talents, and we just, I mean, we we couldn't have put together a better team mm-hmm. um, to really do this, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you ask me how I do it, I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I don't know how I balance um, two kids, one on the way, a husband, full-time job, and, you know, all the other things that in between. Plus, we all hold, like, different other community uh, leadership positions. We sit on boards. You work in a congressional <laughs> office. Yeah. Tequila, you're, like, pursuing your PhD degree. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ladies, I'm like, you know. <laughs> we just get it done. That's- but that just speaks to, like, as black women and women of color, like we've always been doing this. Yeah. We've always found a way. Mm-hmm. And um, 
no questions asked. We just do it. So we have two final questions for you all that we've been asking all of the folks who are on our show. And my question for you both is, how do you take care of yourself? You know, this work is really intense. And especially the, you know, the work that you're doing down there, I feel like has so many layers of intensity to it. Um, so how do you how do you survive? How do you take care of yourself? Oh, good question. Um, that is a struggle, I will say. Um that whole self-care mindset is is something we have to do. It's, it's necessary in order to do this work because it can get draining. Yeah. Like it can be, I mean, just in the era that we're in, in the age of Trump, like it's something mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And it's, it makes you feel like, damn, like, am I making a difference? It can make you feel defeated at some times. So one, I try to turn off the news. I don't watch, you know, good idea. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm starting to read more. Like I'm realizing, like, even though I get a lot of my, I read a lot of news, even for my full-time job, mm-hmm. I want to read more and get more ideas from other people and thought leaders. So that's something I've been trying to do, be more intentional about. Uh, obviously I'm a podcaster, so I listen to podcasts too. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I'm very, very intentional about, and that is boundaries. Even in my full-time job, like I, I create boundaries. Like I'm I all here for boundaries. <laughs> I'm all here for boundaries, but continue. I don't answer work emails after Sis, five o'clock. I'm with you on the weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, that's not me. Um, on Sundays, I'm really intentional me. about sun, my Sundays. I'm really stingy about those. Um, <laughs> I love that you say stingy. <laughs> I know. So how are yes. you stingy? Please share share with us like what a typical Sunday in your in your family's uh, home is like. Um, Sundays are, you know, granted, we go to church, but we don't go to church every Sunday because it's one of our one days that we get to relax. Um, so, you know, on the days we do go to church, we'll, we'll end up, we'll start out there and then we'll maybe go out to eat, um, afterwards. Um, we'll try to find something that's happening in the community or we'll go to the movies, um, or we'll just hang out at the house and, you know, get things done. But I try to put work away on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Um, not doing anything work related or equity alliance related and not going into any events either because we get invited to a lot of events I bet. and I just yeah and I get I get text messages from people and I, I don't respond on Sunday so that's just kind of my mental boundary um that I so try important. to create so important mm-hmm. and I'm saying I'm being more intentional about saying no um the other thing is too the election the midterm election took a lot out of us. <laughs> I mean, it was like we we. I mean, you guys literally had a political <laughs> seismic shift, so I can exactly. only imagine yeah. that you're still recovering. <laughs> we are just now recovering. So for the month of December, we try to make sure that we're not doing planning any events. Mm-hmm. That's just something we've built into the organization of not trying to do anything. It's our rest month, so we don't plan events for December. Um, and really trying to focus on family. So that's, mm. that's something, too, as an organization that we try to build into the culture. Mm. So. Yeah, for me, I um, so I started meditating. So I meditate at least. I try to meditate at least every other day. It can be difficult just to turn your mind, not for me, to turn my mind off. So I've been doing a lot of guided meditation before bed just to try to ensure that I am getting at least Mm -hmm. eight hours of sleep at night. That's been really, really hard and challenging. I also do CrossFit. So I do CrossFit four days a week, and I do Zumba or African dance 
three days a week. Mm-hmm. So that helps me as well. And then the other thing is spending mm-hmm. time with my daughter. Like, I, I know for me being a mom and doing this work is really, really draining. And you can always, I'll, sometimes I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I feel like this work kind of can take me away from her. So whenever I intentionally schedule time to spend with her, which is usually like Friday, like all day Friday is her day and all Saturday morning is her day. And then after school to read to her before bed and stuff, that for me is self-care. And then I go to mm-hmm. therapy. Yes, sis. There, we're all pro therapy here. Everybody should go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Everyone really should. None of none Get of out. us none of us are adjusted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or at least whatever you convinced yourself yeah. that you are. Yeah. But, but continue to kill it. <laughs> I have to lay my burdens down somewhere where I, <laughs> I hear you, sis. I hear you. Oh, man. I was going to say something about social media, but that's a, just a soapbox. But, I've but been talk more about it. Like, yeah. Like, I've just been more and more thinking about, like, detaching from social, social media. And I have to use it for my job. But on a personal level, I've been wanting to, like, pull away because I'm finding more and more that social media is like this um, source for negativity mm-hmm. and like it can make you feel and I, I'm not speaking just for me but just like it in general you can find yourself comparing yourself to other people mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. doing things for likes and, mm-hmm. and retweets and it builds into this like culture of like self-promotion and I don't know I just that to me is sort of a sort of self-care thing is like not trying to play into negativity that gets posted on uh, social media and what other people are saying and uh, the latest issues of the day. I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to articulate that, but. Oh, it's very clear. Yeah. No, it's very okay. clear. No, very clear to both <laughs> of us. I mean, no, the truth is, is it. that the culture of, you know, self-promotion is, is, is just completely off the, off the scale mm-hmm. and social media like just distorts it to a whole nother, a whole nother level. So what, so one of the questions, um, just to give you a little bit of context, because I realize in my other interviews, if I don't give folks context, the questions, these things feels a little out of pocket, but you know, often in our work, right. We refer to the call to action, right. To that, that moment where you're like, you know, telling folks what the, what the call of the day and what we need people to do. Right. But one of the things I've, um, I've learned or, over the course of last year's cycle and particularly from, from black women is that we need to move away from that language and we really need to talk about joy and justice. Right. And like, how are we bringing that to our work? Right. So what I might, so my last question to both of you, and if you need some time to think about it, please, please take it is what is your call? to join justice yeah it's especially in the work that I'm in you know I work for a congressman and I have to be sort of careful sometimes of the things I speak out on because I also represent a congressman and so those views may or may not be the same um so I always you know I want to always make sure that I'm being me and authentically me and in my views um and i also don't buy into this idea of what an activist should be or look like um so yeah i take joy in actually being non-conformative to um labels and um titles that we think you know an activist or an organizer should should be or look like um i sort of defy those stereotypes a little bit 
And I'm okay with that um, because I also want to show people that taking action and being an activist or whatever that label is for you does not have to fit one box and you can find and get in where you fit in because there is work for everybody to do whether uh, and Tequila talked about this a little bit on her Facebook the other day about you know we need people who can fund the movement but also be on the ground and Mm -hmm. we need people in the media who can tell our stories like there's places for everyone and gifts that people can have to, to contribute, uh, well, but we all need to be moving toward the same, toward the same goal. So, yes, my joy is being me um, and not uh, asking permission or being fitting a mold, basically, that someone thinks I should be fitting. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, that, to be honest, for me, that has always kind of been a struggle because no matter where I've been in life, I've never truly fit in. Um, I think as when I turned 30, I made a conscious effort to just be myself and not allow what other people want me or what other people think I should be to make me feel like I'm not good enough because oftentimes that's what I see. Um, I mean, I've been the only black girl in a room before and being accepted by people who don't look like me, but I've been in a room with black people and not been accepted because I don't look like what they think a successful Mm. black woman should look Mm. like, or I don't carry myself the way they think a successful black Mm. woman should carry themselves. And I think this whole notion of respectability to white people. Let's dump that Let's dump that thing. Let's dump it in the ocean. Respectability (laughs) politics is BS. It's hurting the movement. Exactly. It is hurting the movement. Like, People aren't saying that you have to have earrings the size of a dime and cross your legs at the ankles anymore. I mean, personally, I was my one of my mentors sent me to charm school, so I know what those things are. I just don't feel like that is reflective of who I am and who I aspire to be. I want people to see me not for what they think I am based on what they think I say or if I code switch at the right time or if I wear a suit every day, but for the work that I do, for the action that I take, because it's easy to look the part. It's easy to even sound the part, but it is so hard to actually be the part and put the work in to actually fulfill the role Mm -hmm. that comes with the part. So it's like, I think my joy is more so like the rebel <laughs> spirit. I find joy in having short a short nappy afro with red beautiful, lipstick and beautiful. in a room full of white <laughs> men. That is joy to me because I, for so long, my ancestors have been forced to fit into your mold but now you're coming to me because you need something from me. So now I want you to fit into what I want. And so to me, that's joy. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you all this blackness. Not, I'm not going to go overboard and try to be extra black, but I'm going to be me. <laughs> and, and if you, you are extra black at some time, so what? You know, that's what you're feeling at the moment. <laughs> yep. And so that has kind of been a struggle hmm. for me throughout my life. But now I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to change who I am. And I don't think that's going to stop me from being successful. Like, you know. And that's why, you know, I really want to ask this of like all of our of all of our guests that come on the show. It's just we need to be we need to talk about it more. Right. Because it is a struggle for a lot of us that are trying to like just be ourselves. Right. Because the truth is, is that when you just you make a choice, right, to be yourself, whether it's the rebel spirit. Right. Um, or or the or your or just yourself, whatever that is. 
um, it goes against, you know, respectability politics, right? Like I, I see, you know, when you look at my wardrobe, man, literally you can like see it, right? You know, the, the part of the wardrobe that is just like, you know, like today sweatpants and a, you know, Gatorade shirt on. Um, and then the other part of the wardrobe that is like suits, right? Um, but at the end of the day, it's about how I feel about, about myself, right? Um, and I think for many of our, our younger listeners, like I think that that's what I feel like when I see folks that are like, 15, 20, 22 now, I feel like they're just like, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's like they don't even care about even fighting about respect- respectability politics because they're like, I'm not here for it. So I just really just want to just appreciate both of you for taking time, honestly, on a Saturday um, when you can be doing many other things. <laughs> appreciate the time that we've had together to get to know you a little bit more. I definitely look forward to paying attention to like the work that you guys are doing in uh, in Tennessee and definitely want to figure out how like we cross paths again in yes. this work because I know that we that we will. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. It was so awesome to hear from you and and for sharing your joy and your justice and your self-care and all of the work that you've done. I hope we can come down to Tennessee. I want to like come help register voters. I want to do whatever y'all need. So if there's any chance for us to come down, let us know. Oh, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. This week on the podcast, we're going to launch our Democracy Dumpster Fire of the Month. That's fire, guys. Fire. Is that fire? Is that what fire sounds like? I guess we're going to have to work on that. So, Gina, get us going. What is the the DCCC and why does it matter and why are they on fire? Yes, the DCCC is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee led by Representative Sherry Bustos. From Illinois. From Illinois. And Nancy Pelosi is up in there, too. They are an organization that tries to re-elect Democrats. Well, not tries. That's actually their responsibility to re-elect and protect incumbents in the Democratic Party in the House. It also exists on the Senate side um, for our listeners. And even though, you know, Nancy Pelosi isn't technically in the leadership body of the of the DCCC, as the head, as a speaker of the of the party in the House, that makes her de facto basically party leader Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. committee. So and recently, the DCCC did a fundraiser for incumbent Dan Lipinski, who is a known anti-LGBT, anti-abortion, stale, male, and pale Democratic incumbent. Where's Dan from again? Can you remind me? He's from Illinois. Okay, he's and that's true. Yeah, he's from a, a suburb of Illinois, uh, a place that consistently elects Democrats, elected Hillary Clinton, will vote for pro-choice people, will, will vote for people who see the humanity mm-hmm, in gay mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. and immigra- immigrants. And, you know, he's being challenged again by a woman named Marie Newman. She mm-hmm. challenged him in 2016, came really, really close. Google Marie Newman. She's great. Give to her if you have the cash. Hey, folks. In the few days since we have recorded our podcast, Sherry Bustos has actually pulled out of the fundraiser for Dan Lipinski. It's unclear whether or not the DCCC itself is going forward with the fundraiser, but Sherry Bustos herself has tried to remove herself from the story. That being said... It's still important to remember that Dan Lipinski is a Democratic candidate for Congress who is being supported by the DCCC, and one fundraiser does not negate the fact that Democrats in leadership continue to campaign for him. And the DCCC is out here when it's like abortion ban after abortion ban, and you're telling me that you're spending your time raising money for that man? 
absolute dumpster fire. This, and, yeah, no, yeah, this is what, sorry, I'm lit. This is what hap- This is what we're talking about when we say the Democratic Party also gave us Trump. Like when we are protecting people who are not upholding, not even, it doesn't even have to be the most progressive values, the baseline Democratic Party values. You're gonna go out there and do that? Okay. No, no, and I couldn't agree more. And then I think what's important, right, is that you know this isn't this isn't a, a a new occurrence. And I think that's important for listeners to know about why it's it's peak fire, peak right? Fire. Because mm-hmm. when something when gasoline's been being poured on something for a long time, it's mm-hmm. called the blue dog Democrat strategy, mm-hmm. right? Where basically we make exceptions on the pillars of what it means to be a Democrat yeah. for the sake of winning an election. Yeah, looking at you. And guessing, yeah, exactly. So when we talk about how both parties are responsible sometimes for getting us here, mm-hmm. but in particular how Democrats. Um, have been re- responsible in their way and differently, obviously, mm-hmm. um, for getting us here. That's what we're talking about. And in this time in 2019, when we have a full-out assault, you know, on immigrants, on women, on queer folks, on people of color, this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. This is completely unacceptable because what you're saying is that even now it's okay to make these kinds of decisions mm-hmm. and it's not okay. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. Because guess what? We don't win that way. Mm-mm. Because then you end up with, what's his name from Virginia? Um, Manchin? Is it Manchin? Oh, no, Joe Manson's from West Virginia. From West Virginia. Who, like, doesn't vote against gun assault bans, who is bad on choice. And bad on climate. Bad on climate. Like, is working, is basically not causing with the Republicans, but yes, he more is. or less is. How are you a Democrat? Yeah. We I gotta, don't. We got to keep a, keep an actual definition for what that is. And we do always talk about how this cycle, and for many, and for the last couple of years, that you know, Demo- the Democratic Party as an institution is going through a reshaping of what its of what its bases of what its policy platform mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. But what we want to make sure is that these fires that are now all lit, like this one, we need to take it, just remove them from our from our remove from our from it. the party. Period. Get period. And what's worse is that this comes at the heels of the most recent story from Rep. Rep. Terry Bustos when it comes to the DCCC about blacklisting. Consultants and, demo- and and other people that decide that they want to, you know, support candidates that listen that pe- shouldn't be running. People who work at the DCCC like to say that it is an organization that is there to protect incumbents, and it's like, well, what are y'all scared of? Why you're so scared that good campaign like. You can still, you can still, you know, right. we're not suggesting. But don't regulate the consultants. Exactly. We're not saying change your mission. No. And, and I'm not even saying don't don't stop existing. No. And let me be honest. Um, the DCCC is helpful in many ways and other ways to the, to the, to the, to the landscape. So I do want to say that, but I want to bring it back to the point. That is not the purpose. Mm-mm. At a time when we're building the party, let's not make these kinds of, these, these, don't why why get in the way of people doing work why are you so afraid of incumbents being challenged in primaries why Maybe do you need to look at that why are we afraid to lead with our values and actually yeah. try to win on these values so that when we go and govern we can do what yes. what, what folks what what folks in Nevada did with the state legislature right. who just like you know passed a bill on sexual assault right right like that those are the kinds of things that we should be doing but we're not because when we make exceptions like this then we end up with a governance coalition guess what folks that we can't do shit with we can't and that's do what and that's shit. what gets us stuck in DC yep. at the end of the day because we build this coalition of exceptions that actually aren't a shared view of like what we we want to be and how we want to govern mm-hmm. so we're and, and and again the whole like blacklisting of like consultants and look let's be honest guys i, I know that consultants generally speaking aren't the most sympathetic folks right. and i get it um but this is big picture right we're always talking about move about 
building a movement within the party and within this country right. but bringing people whether they're young folks whether they're women whether they're people of color um, people with different physical abilities mm -hmm. to be part of this work mm -hmm. right so that we can change who gets to run for office mm -hmm. and we can change who gets to work in these in these political campaigns and in government as mm -hmm. well and when you have democratic institutions who are saying I'm going to do more than just protect incumbents I'm going to get in the way yes and that's the problem yes because nobody's saying don't stop, don't protect them no because at the end of the day good old competition is what it is it's great if some of us make a choice that we say we're going to go up against your incumbents let that be yeah let that play itself out yeah right but what you shouldn't do is say I'm going to be incumbent I'm going to be also be gatekeeper because let me tell you we got no time for gatekeepers and that's what makes this fire and trash yes Sorry, guys. I went on, yes. on a, on a monologue it. there. I loved it. I'm going to dial it back now. Oh, my God. Don't. Dial it up. <laughs> but, yeah. No, and that's a, that's a really great point. Like, I don't even care if the DCCC is actively donating to and supporting candidates who have primary challengers. Like, no. good good for you. No. Makes it fun. That's the work. You know? Like, and that's the work. And But what I'm saying, and this is the, I want to be really clear about this. This blacklist is real. Like, consultant groups and organizations getting calls saying you're not going to be allowed to work with us if you keep doing that. The DCCC does that. The DSCC does that. And it's unacceptable, especially, especially when they're supporting people like Dan Lipinski, who doesn't believe in abortion. Again, 2019 doesn't believe in gay marriage, doesn't believe in basic equities that, at least for me, or why I am kind of a Democrat. Mm -hmm. You and know, the reason why this is so important, right, is because of the contrast of what we're always talking about on this show, right? We're living in dark democratic times in yeah. our country when it comes to our federal institutions, right? Yep. When, when judges that don't hold the line on Brown versus education as part of their judicial appointment process, yep. that's what we're up against. Yep. We're up against the cornerstones of our of our country, mm -hmm. of the civil rights for mm -hmm. of, of many different classes of people, mm -hmm. completely being undermined, mm -hmm. and not undermined but deregulated and removed from our legal framework, mm -hmm. and worse, our cultural compass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the United Nations is for the first time is doing a, a poverty assessment of the United States. Visiting places like Alabama. Mm. This is where we are. Mm -hmm. We are the richest country in the world, and we have the largest community of people that are impoverished for, for the size of the country that we are in terms of our economy. People with no access to health care. Deliberate choices. Yeah. And at this time, we cannot have this kind of trash actually be what's leading the way. This is what leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. This is why people don't want to engage. And don't want to vote. And I, and I always want to contextualize these fires in the bigger, in the bigger picture, mm -hmm. because by themselves, you might just say, oh, we're just, you know, here we are just complaining about the, the last thing that just came out. No, it's the bigger no. picture. It's the container that this is a part of. Yeah. That this is what we're choosing to prioritize at a time when we're going through all these other, other, other battles. That Dan Lipinski, is what we're choosing to put our Democratic Party money behind. 
we should be figuring out who's gonna run for Senate in Georgia. Right. Who's gonna run for, you know, for Senate in Florida. Right. You know? Te- like, Kentucky, Texas, all these important primaries. And, you know, granted, it's, it's not, again, that's not the job of the D-Trib. We know that. Mm. But what we're trying to say here is that there is a lot of other things we should be putting but even our in energy the house. into. And, and, let's, and let's be yeah, real. Yeah, in like, the house. You know, part of, their, part of their priorities are simple. They got to make sure that vulnerable freshmen that won in 2018, especially a lot of the people that we absolutely love, mm-hmm. um, especially in tough districts, that they're that they're reelected, right? Mm-hmm. You know, folks like Sokol Small Tourists in, mm-hmm. in, um, in, in, in New Mexico, mm-hmm. right? Folks like Lauren Underwood in, 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 in Illinois, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of folks like that that we know that they're already a priority, but like, why they they should be the only priority, not these folks, yeah. right? And what are the few seats that we can pick up, right? right. We know this, right? Right. So we we but they have to be able to hold the the cyclical goals with the long term goals. Right. And I understand that that given their their scope of work in terms of you know our job is to protect incumbents that it should you know our job isn't to look at the long term. At this time, in this country, where we are, it is part of your responsibility because mm-hmm. it's part of our, all of our responsibilities. And if more of us continue to say, well, it doesn't belong to me, guess mm-hmm. what? We, we're going to continue down this rabbit. We're all going to be on fire. We're all going to be on fire because at the end of the day, we're all a part of it. And we can't continue to make exceptions based on like the box that you say that you're supposed to be a part of. That's it for this month. Don't forget to subscribe to Deep Democracy on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you won't miss our next episode. Deep Democracy is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our producer, Amy Westervelt. Our theme song is We Can't Slow Down by Origami Pigeon. Our cover art was drawn by Alejandra Ballesteros. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,